Flesh and Blood, the UK Games Expo, and Masters of the Universe Revelation. This is staying in. There was an event at the weekend that not all of us could attend. Mm. Your brother's wedding. Exactly so. <laughs> yes. I mean, why we all weren't invited. I know. Well, yeah. we well we, we can choose really. We can either talk about my experience of being best man at my brother's wedding, or yeah. we could be a little bit more on brand and talk about your experience, which I was hideously jealous of. Uh, to be fair, I'd argue that our brand is. Yeah, talking I was about, about to say yeah. our most on Weddings. brand thing is talking about your brother's wedding. Yeah. How was it? How did it go? It was good. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really nice. It was a very intimate gathering. We only had about they only had about thirty guests for the main ceremony, which was really lovely, actually. Mm. Um, obviously, Chris, it was the second time you've been a best man. It is indeed, yes. What new things did you learn? It was really interesting. Whereas your wedding, Sam, mm-hmm. I every Sunday for a year, I'd get up and I'd, I'd be working on the stag and stuff for like the best man speech and things. Yeah, you had your own notebook as well? I did indeed. My brother's wedding was like, you know that sequence at the end of The Wrong Trousers where Gromit's on the train laying the track <laughs> ahead of the train? <laughs> I was just, I, I kept finding, I get little get drips and drabs of information. I kept finding stuff out like, oh yeah, can you do the sound for the wedding? Fair enough. Okay. Uh, a few days before, this is the music we want. Okay, cool. Hang on, so were you the uh, DJ? I had to do the music for when the bride walked in, when they were right. signing their, what is it? Register. Register. Yeah. And so did you have left. to get on, did you have to get on the organ? the longer the note the more dread just (laughs) just crack my knuckles and no i I had to get on the tablet and plug it into the uh, sound system there on the portable speakers they had oh my god and i uh, also had to mc it which i found out literally 30 seconds before i (laughs) had to stand up and do all the mcing yeah and then They've got, they had this photographer. I was talking to Sam about this earlier. You know, there's this fashion at the moment where people have their photos taken with all this coloured smoke in the background. No, like no. It's like Burning Man. I have never <laughs> heard of no. this. Well, apparently it's this thing. So, and I, um, they were showing me photos of um, happy couples with all this coloured smoke in the background. I was thinking, oh, how do they do this? And I found out. <laughs> Basically, the photographer hangs me a thing that looks like your typical like flashlight you'd get in Tomb Raider. Yeah. And he says, yeah, 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 you just light the fuse and you just, in a bit, you're going to have to like run back and forth <laughs> with this smoke. <laughs> and while he's talking to me, I'm reading the label and it says, the first thing it says is place on the ground. I was like, well, okay. Place far away from yeah. face. Do like, not hold once lit. Yeah, and I said to the bloke, I said, look, have you just given me a firework? <laughs> He says, oh, that'll be all right. Just don't hold it near the top. Hold it in the middle. I found actually the best place to hold it is none of those. It's near the bottom. Because (laughs) as soon as I lit it, sparks were flying off this thing, which was burning my hand. And then I had to kind of run back and forth in a three-piece suit, woolen suit, on shoes, by the way, which had leather soles. So everything was an ice rink (laughs) with this purple smoke back and forth. So that's that's the only thing, Sam, really, I learned from it, really. But it was a lovely experience. But enough about that. Enough about that. And no, how was Birmingham? Oh, how was Birmingham. Birmingham. More canals than Venice. <laughs> I, I grew up in Birmingham. And the question that was asked to me several times. Yeah. Because we I was, well, we were both there. We were all there for two nights. And on the second mm. night, we decided we were going to Birmingham for a drink mm. and some food and stuff like that. And the question that got asked me several times by Pete was, um, uh, wh- where are we going? Um, is it, you know, is it, is it rough? Is it, is it, is it rough? Yeah. I don't know where he thought Birmingham was, if it was some kind of third world kind of battlefield. Right. But you, you seemed convinced that I was going to take you to some kind of den of kind of drug addicts and... yeah. Pete. To be fair to Pete, though, there is a part of Birmingham called the Bull Ring, which, are, which, by the way, very disappointing. No matadors whatsoever. And in saying that, Pete does hail from a part of the world that has a place called the Bear Pit. That's so true. Yeah. you should have been very well prepared for anything Birmingham was going to throw at you. And were you happy that where I took you was not indeed? Oh, oh, rough? yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing. I just assume that every city in the UK 
is basically a, a gangland until I've I've been there. I assume Manchester was like that. I assumed that Bristol was like that before I moved there. No, we got we got to go to some lovely places. Obviously, we went to the NEC Arena, which is always a lovely treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also went to the UK Games Expo. Yeah, we did. and that was a lot of fun. Obviously, Chris, we missed you. Yeah, we were forever thinking of you uh, while we went around and had a lovely time. We saw lots of lovely games and played lots of lovely games. And we were also shopping for you at the same time, Chris. Cause I you, know. I, I've you, seen the swag. Okay. So, Chris, you well, you gave Sam a budget yep. to get you some cool stuff. And I'd love to talk about that. Hey, do you, do you, have you been given the stuff yet, Chris? I've been given it. It's amazing. Okay. Honestly, like, I feel like I've won some kind of like radio competition. Yeah, it was pretty. It's I, an amazing I, I haul. felt pretty proud. You did very good. Thanks very much. Yeah, I gave I gave I gave Sam like was it forty quid, and I said get around it, and then Sam reminded me that beers don't cost like it was pretty much half of the money that you gave <laughs> me each anymore. I got I got um, so um, while while Chris is rifling through his things, so the UK Games Expo is held usually every year. Of course, it didn't happen last year. So this was the first year that. This is the first exhibition that's been on the last couple of years. I think, last um, so last year's, remember, we did the digital event. We, which there was a, a digital version of it. So we did like a special mm-hmm. um, video for um, Cosmos on their virtual stand. But this mm-hmm. is the first year it's been back yep. in the NEC for a while. Mm-hmm. Not the first exhibition to be on the NEC uh, since the pandemic really hit. Mm. That title <laughs> goes to the Festival of Quilting which actually went on for longer than yeah. the UK Games Expo. And it made for a really interesting mix in the atrium between the yes, two different Yes, it did, of, of, of different sort of demographics yeah. of people. What I enjoyed is the, the, the one of the security guards who let you in in the morning because everyone had to go through this like COVID security check and, and then just general sort of security. He would kind of look at the, the people who were entering and kind of take a punt as to which of the two two events that they would be attending. So as I walked in one day, in front of me were a pair of elderly ladies, and he took the punt and just went, quilting? And they went, yes. And then uh, another gentleman, younger gentleman, was walking in front of me, and uh, he went, games? And this guy goes, yep. Looked at me and went, so what are you here for? <laughs> like, straight down the middle. Yeah. But, he, but then we got then we got chatting to him. Pete and I got chatting to him whilst we were like fumbling around with our COVID passes and stuff like that. And said, "Oh, these quilters are absolute troublemakers because they've all got like scissors and knitting needles in their bags, so they're walking through the security, just sending everything off." And just <laughs> so, like a singer sewing machine on wheels, they just push through. <laughs> But yeah, so this is the UK uh, Games Expo, and it's the first first time I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time that you've been as well, Dan. Yeah, uh, Pete, it's the third time. Third for me. You've been, yeah. and yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible and, and great for it to be back, and also great. They they just did a great job to try to make it feel as welcoming and as safe as it did. Yeah, like it it was. Like you were saying, Pete, it was probably about a third of the size that it usually was. And kind of the, some of the stuff they've done is like they made like the aisles, the, 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 the sort of phantom aisles between stalls and different exhibitors wider. The bring and buy sale wasn't happening this year, mm-hmm. which probably was a good thing in terms of budget. And <laughs> um, I think that's probably a good thing for you as well, Chris, or otherwise you would have been handed some awful rpg for the 1980s yep and also the open gaming hall was a lot larger as well so um which i thought actually felt like a really nice space because you kind of had groups of six chairs together and then the space equivalent of like two meters then another six chairs yeah it was really good so it felt really like opening and welcoming even though it's a bit of a bigger space than normal and yeah i i i had an absolute blast and spent a lot of money even though it was all very well budgeted. But yeah, my main task throughout the weekend was to meet some lovely people, which mm-hmm. we did, and also spend Chris's money. Chris, what is your booty? Oh my gosh, what a bit, what a swag indeed. I was really genuinely moved by this. It's really lovely and really thoughtful <laughs> because it's clear to see that Sam hasn't just gone to one place and just nicked loads of stuff. Yeah, you, <laughs> told, me, you told me strange and unusual. Yeah. And I kind of went... Yeah. 
Let, let's run with that. That's, that's, yeah, let's you, go with you that. Definitely lent into it on some of them. Yeah. So I've got a lovely game here, and just some be- and, and 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 Sam knows that I really have an eye for like I really love kind of like a clean kind of aesthetic. I love a very distinctive graphical style. So this one here, Hatsudan, which is about it's it's a very small little uh, like I think it's like a, a card game, but it's about kind of creating kind of clean energy which is quite cool as a theme i think and it's mm. a beautiful kind of graphic style i've got mayscape from devir and cosmos which i'm really looking forward to reviewing i'll probably do that on the next episode actually which is i think it's one of those kind of folding maze games you showed yeah, me one sam actually it's kind of like a, a lab it's a really interesting concept we've got um, a picture of of one of them on our instagram feed but the idea is is basically you start with this open booklet and I remember Pete, I, sh- I think I showed you them at the Cosmos yep. stand as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea is you take a pen or a stylus or, or something and you have, a, you have a particular start point on the map and you'll just be drawing a line and then whenever your pen essentially meets a place where the pages fold or the, maybe the pages meet or there's a crease, you can then unfold it and basically that'll open up more of the maps. And it's such a, such a clever art design because when you open it up, the pathways still exist, but they may actually lead to other places. So it's this wonderful continuing experience where you're always like unfolding and folding and creasing. And it's a bit like someone's made a game out of when your dad tries to put away an OS map in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a perfect person. Someone saw someone it. doing that and went, actually, that could be quite sure. fun. Yeah, that yeah. frustration, we can do something with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also got a lovely solo game called Lux Antenna by Tony Boydell, who's Antenna? an artist. Antenna? Antenna. How do you pronounce that? Aterna. 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 A and E together. Thank I'd you, Sam Aterna. Lux Aterna um, from Tony Boydell, part by Alex Lee. Um, it's a bit like Sam mentioned, it's kind of got echoes of The Wretched, which we spoke about in a previous pod. Again, mm. it's something solo, but this one is against the clock. Uh, using cards and I think dice placements as well. It looks really, really interesting. I, I met a really lovely lady from Surprised Stare Games at the expo. They had some like they had like three little little mini games actually. Uh, I think it's like a part of a, a series that they're Yeah, their stand was really interesting. It was like really cool, really innovative looking small games and then super grognardy like war games that are like yeah. lo- really low, like really, really indie kind of war games i was like what is going on here but it was really she was really nice she was really nice yeah she was great i, I also got a game oh yeah there. <laughs> is it was this was it is, is this, this your 30 pieces one? of silver game yeah so <laughs> yeah i i we're, we're yeah. still yet to decipher exactly what the game is what, called so i've worked out what i'm going to do sam so i'm editing this pod okay what i'm going to do is it, you won't even notice it but i'm actually going to at a later date i'll find the title of this game and i'll just subtly um dub that over into okay. the recording you won't even know it's there so okay. this is this game is called king thief minister oh wow you found it out i found it out yeah it's amazing that yeah. um yeah which I, what I you mean, said again, the game the is art, called what the game's called king thief minister you see i thought it would be called something i might be pronouncing that wrong i don't know oh i thought it was pronounced king thief minister <laughs> right okay okay this is all oh, right so um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work, but but I look forward um, to hearing it. So um, so um, but it, it, the art is gorgeous. It looks the front of the box. It reminds me of the art of there's an Australian artist really like called Sean Tam. It reminds me a lot of that, which is quite cool. Do so, you know what language it's in? I think it's Persian. It is. That's what. That's yeah. That's what we came up with. We ma- we managed to find one translation, and then since then we've not been able to find the translation since on Google Translate, which no. is strangely the same thing that happened to the person who sold it to me. Uh, so they were there one second and then um, the whole the gone. whole the whole thing had just gone isn't it <laughs> <laughs> that game though is strangely alluring and yeah. there's proper silver coins in it as well really yeah wow also the rules are hilariously terribly oh, written slash translated yeah no the rules too okay yeah I'm looking forward to reading that so and the last thing I got um, yeah. Was uh, which was a huge surprise because I know you met Tim Fowers and I was really jealous because I've only ever spoken to him online and he's designed loads of the games I really really love and I got a lovely gift from him which is basically for the companies the games we've spoken about before Burger Brothers and Burger Brothers Two 
and it was something I didn't back on the Kickstarter. Actually, it's like the it's like the Burgle Brothers van where all the the thieves kind of arrive to the heist in, and you've got like actual three D minis of them as opposed to plastic minis as opposed to the little wooden Stand figures standees. So, and he's written on it. I got his autograph. But yeah, so what a lovely haul! Thank you so much for doing that for me. Honestly, it felt a little bit vicariously like I was there with you. In general. The highlight for me was feeling really re-energized about yeah. hobbies. Like, and I feel like that's totally. one of the big things that UK Games Expo does to me every single year. I'm always like, this is good, isn't it? This is a fun hobby. Everyone was super excited and super enthusiastic to be. I, I think part of that was like, obviously a lot of people just had, were, were just excited to be out and showing off these these games. Mm. Um, finally, to lots of people like, and it's difficult not to soak that up and, mm-hmm. and sort of mm. bounce off that energy and enthusiasm that kind of everybody like we w- when we got there we sort of because me and pete were there the friday during the day and we sort of walked around and we said right saturday tomorrow we'll we'll have a we'll we're interested in it we'll, we'll have a play demo of that and we'll we'll go and have a demo session of this and all this kind of stuff and got really sort of pumped and organized. And every time we ever wanted to go and play something that we'd like spied like the previous day, it was always packed and busy and like someone was rushing, eager to get in. Like the, the appetite to mm. like experience new board games and even board games that had been around for a couple of years was was exceeding my expectations. I mean, I didn't expect it to be like really quiet, but I just didn't expect people to be queuing up to play mm. to to play games and like like every time he went over to the cosmos stand to try and get a look at um robin hood and was, the new advent calendar company, it was absolutely jammed yeah, and rammed all the time and i like obviously we we're a bit disappointed there was stuff that we didn't see and stuff that we couldn't we couldn't play but but that what was great about it is kind of like it pushed us a bit to the fringes i think my my highlight other than hanging around with you guys is flesh and blood Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was the one because I I didn't play Flesh and Blood, <laughs> but as you mentioned, kind of there were people around like all the different places. If you wanted to go see something, often you'd have to queue, and we didn't do a lot of that. We always tended to move on to the next thing until we found something. Flesh and yeah. Blood was the one that I could see in both of your eyes. Mm-hmm. There was a look of I'm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I I think you had to queue for like twenty five minutes, and then you sat yeah. down for a, probably a good half an hour playing yep. it. But oh, there was yeah. a look in your eyes of. We're we're playing. We're going to play me this. and you one on one. I'm taking you down. <laughs> I wandered off because I'm like I'm not sticking around for this. Yeah. <laughs> so so my understanding of this was uh, when we when we queued up because basically Sam you were saying like oh flesh and blood this is the one I keep hearing about I'd never heard about this game um, yeah and you were like this is the one that all the magic players are talking about at the moment and I was like oh okay because obviously we talked it's about a, magic it's at that point that I started to wander off yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the glaze in the eyes yeah. it just started to come over and um we so we went over to the stand and the stand was not actually being run by the flesh and blood people it was actually being run by kingdom gaming which mm-hmm. is a, um, it's a shop in Northampton, isn't it? I, I think so. It's called Northampton's Premier Gaming Centre. So I assume it's a shop, but uh, whatever it is, uh, it's it's uh, it's clearly run by some very very nice people because they were showing lots of different people flesh and blood, and they'd actually got the company that makes that game to send them a load of product, and they were going to introduce it to a load of people in the UK because it's not got a, a, a massive audience at the moment right now over here because it's. Uh, it was originally being designed in New Zealand and it seems to be popping yeah. off over there. And I was like, okay, a collectible card game. Okay, uh, a duel in which two players have to get from X number of points down to zero to, to b- sort of beat their opponent. I, you know, I feel like I know what this is going to be and I've been burned a lot and, and, and I've kind of been burned a little bit by the, by the, the luck element of magic. Uh, and then we sat down and played it and it's it's real good. It's it's like it's real good. It's really good. Yeah. So can you just explain to me, Sam, what does real good mean? In Pete by Peter Winnington uh, standards. By Peter Winnington. So when they were showing off the game, demoing the game, and I got you one of the the demo packs. Yes. Actually, mm. it's basically it's a really good way of introducing new players to the game because it kind of it was like a slimmed down experience that basically just demonstrated the actual mechanics of the. Of, of how it plays and it did need 
it, like most car games like this type, it does kind of need someone to be sitting, like a third person to be like the peddler to introduce yeah. it and like look at both of your hands and go, what are you thinking of playing? Yes, that's a good move. Or have you thought of doing this? Mm-hmm. And how Flesh and Blood plays, and I think what makes it really, really interesting is that the cards you've got in your hand are essentially form your both your attack and your defense. And what's really interesting is that you're always playing this balance of, of um, this decision of cards you're playing now to attack um, the person across from you versus cards you want to keep to try and defend from the person across from you when they, when they attack. And there's also the inverse of that, which is, do you want to sacrifice lots of cards to defend, but therefore giving up lots of cards in your hand that therefore you can attack with afterwards? The game always is playing with that sort of balance of play from your cards. And I think as someone who's played Magic a lot, one of the frustrating parts of that game is knowing that in your deck you've got stuff that you can attack and defend with and just not drawing it and leaving yourself either open to um, attacks or not being able to hit them for, for, for any sort of damage. However, Flesh and Blood seems to have cured that that problem mm. by always giving you an option to attack on every single turn but you always have to weigh that up with how can you if you attack this turn do you have enough to defend when it's your next player's turn since since i've sort of dug down into it and me and pete bought starter decks blitz decks they're called and sort of played it a bit more together on a sunday and we've like i don't know about pete but i've gone a little bit deeper have you hang on hang on briefly what do you mean what do you mean deeper well just like actually reading the the word document of the official rules and learning about like things like combat chains and sending sending me youtube videos of deep dives into specific character decks oh you should you know what pete's like you should know but that that was for me that was like the instant thing of like this is always going to be a wonderful puzzle to try and solve solve especially in a dueling game and it pretty much cuts all the way through that frustration that you get with magic where someone as as you were saying pete about that luck element someone just gets the lucky hand and just gets their creatures out before you and then that's it there's nothing it feels like there's nothing that you can do in response here there is always resources at your disposal there's always ways of attacking there's always ways of defending what is clever about the game is how you actually deploy the cards in your hand to make the most of them Mm. which means there's quite a lot of turns where we're both just sitting there staring at cards trying to figure out why if i play a that means i can do c but if i play b i can do i can do d which means a will be stronger than it was if i played it first yeah and that's what that's why i've ended up digging as deep down into it as i have done because it seems to be a game where you really 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 have to know what your deck is doing and what its strengths are and i think that's the other thing that i really like about it is that it's what's called hero based so the blitz decks that me and pete got are focused on a hero and you actually have a physical person who sits on your playmat and you can put that person in armor. You can give them like certain different boots to wear. You can give them like things to put on their chest to protect them and certain different kinds of buffs. And they have a weapon that sits alongside them permanently. And then other than that, the things in your deck can kind of be changed and altered slightly. And it really feels like not like this ambivalent wizard presence, like in magic. It really feels like there is a character who you are and you play to their strengths. Yeah. Yeah, so um, one of the characters, I forget the name of the vampire dude. that Chain. Chain. For example, the way that that character plays is very much about sort of self-sacrifice and Mm -hmm. like trying to essentially like really blitz through its own cards, right? Through the deck as quickly as possible. And they have this mechanic essentially where they basically make a second hand of cards for themselves but every time they do this they are taking damage so they're basically a ticking time bomb so so you need to get you need to get up to a point where you can get as much of the good out of this character as possible but if your opponent can just wait you out 
then it's then it's okay. Or you know, it work in different ways, right? And the the armor that that Sam is talking about, for example, uh, one of the things I really love about it is they feel really special in the. Uh, so one of the things I had was this piece of armor that when I decided to use that card, that piece of armor, uh, it would give me more power to power up an attack. So if I knew that I wanted to go really hard on this turn, I could sacrifice that, that piece of armor and I could power up a really specific attack that I really wanted to get, to get going. There's, a, there's also a really great mechanic in the game called Go Again, which is all about chaining attacks together. So the game really wants you not to do one great big punch, like playing green in Magic, for example. What it wants you to do is build up and really think about how these combinations of cards will all work together. And that makes these encounters feel really strategic, where sometimes mm -hmm. in Magic it can feel very much like, well, I just got unlucky. Yeah. And obviously there's a place for Magic, but the but this one is the one that makes me go... Oh, if I collected this, which I'm thinking about doing, <laughs> uh, if I but if I if I collected this, I could collect the cards that I wanted, and then walk away. Yeah, like like I would forever have a really interesting game that there isn't some bonkers meta around it around like oh are these cards even legal anymore? There's none of that sort of nonsense. And it's also early enough in the CCG whereby people are still really learning how this game works and what how how to make really interesting, cool decks uh, that aren't completely, you know, busted wide open. I thought it was oh, really good. It's not particularly onerous. And as, as Sam points out, all you need to do is buy one deck, a Blitz deck, and you are done. Like the entry fee to this game is for two players is 20 quid. And from that, believe you me, like you'll have lots of battles and that will go in very interesting different directions. One of my favorites that we played was I'm just gonna rattle off a few. I really like playing Stop the Train. I thought that yeah, was really Stop good. Stop the Train yeah, was, that good was good fun. Good social deduction game in which you need to stop a train, but you all have different things that you need to accomplish as hidden characters so it's a little bit like well i mean if you've played werewolf then you'll be very familiar with the the general idea except for there's essentially a timer ticking down and that timer is this train that's moving along the tracks i'd be interested to play it kind of again in, in a more private environment because i don't think social deduction games like that lend themselves particularly well to kind of an exhi exhibition floor playthrough because mm -hmm. it wasn't a lot i mean i didn't feel like usually in those kind of games there's a lot of talking going on trying to figure out who people are whereas in this there was very little talking when we played it and i don't mm. think if you played it in a different environment that would be the same like yeah i was quite open about the fact of like who my card was because i had nothing to hide and i'm usually these games terrible at hiding so i just tell the truth so i was just open about that and obviously people didn't believe me because no one else was talking <laughs> but it was just me um, so I'd be interested to kind of play it again. So again, I I really enjoyed it as well. And there is, there's 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 a slowing down, speeding up mechanic of how the game can finish really really quickly if you allow it to, mm. um, and also can be really really slowly if you kind of push it to. And obviously, different people have different requirements. So it's not mm -hmm. it's not something as simple as the likes of resistance or something like that, where it's a pass or fail. It's one thing or another. Like everyone has an end goal, which is a yes, which is kind of a a fifty fifty. But on top of that, everybody also has their own individual goal that they need to do. So, for example, for me, I was the photographer, so I had to take a specific route around the board. So I had to push people into that route. Other people would have had a completely other mission, which takes them on a different route. And so that was kind of an interesting way of it not just being that pass or fail, though there are, there are additional elements that you have to gain. So it's not a simple thing that yeah. okay that person's been shifty this entire time they could be being shifty because they want to do something it doesn't mean they're the bad guy it just means they want to do something specific in order to pass their mission which are, mm. which is an interesting kind of extra layer on top of it where in a in a more private environment where you're chatting and you're discussing and you're trying to suss people out that then adds an entire layer to what you're discussing and who you're trusting i think yeah, that's a really clever thing I thought about all the secret missions. Uh, they have been balanced in such a way that 
whatever your second mission is, even if you're just the ticket conductor or, you know, like a photographer or an actress or whatever the roles were, they're all designed in some way that's going to cast suspicion on you. So, for example, Dan as a photographer, taking the scenic route means that there are points in the game where you can essentially have formal meetings with the rest of the group and decide at that point you can take certain actions to stop the saboteur who's trying to crash the train in Paris. And there's one particular point when you come across a bridge where you can decide amongst you if you're going to chuck someone off. So the scenic route that Dan was trying to take has the smallest length of bridge. So if the train's going really fast, essentially, it will cross that bridge too fast for us to have a meeting and therefore chuck off the saboteur. So immediately that makes people suspicious. You know, why is Dan asking for everyone to take the scenic route? Oh, he says he's the photographer, but I don't believe him. However, there's another character who's the stuntman who wants to get chucked off the bridge yeah. as a stunt. Of course. Everyone so that. that plays, not only does that play into the saboteur's hands, as in you've got this character who wants to wants everyone to think that they're the saboteur so they can get chucked off the bridge so so they can pass their mission. Yeah. Like that that for me was the I, I think that was like one of the plus points, but also one of the negatives about the game is that I feel that like Dan's right that in a in a private setting you'd I feel like you really need to have that innate knowledge of what everyone does who's actually on this train and what those secret missions are to really try and then plot logically like but hang on he could be doing this because he's x character or maybe he's doing that because he's what it's y character and he just can't tell or he's saying he's a stuntman Hmm. but he could be the saboteur so let's just throw let's not throw him off yeah it's it's one of those games that you get to the end of the first game that you ever play and you go oh okay yeah let's go again Uh, why don't I show a list of games that we saw to Chris? Yep. And he can pick one. Yep. I'm going to go with, um, that looks interesting, Escape from the Dark Castle. Oh, right. Okay. So th- this 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 was a, this was one that me, did me and you, Pete, go yeah, see some we Friday? Went to, yeah, we went to see this, this. This was also the one, Chris, yeah. where um, uh, when we sat down to play it, I sat on my um, little, like, quilting. Of, oh, sorry. Uh, I sat on my little tub of anti-back gel oh, I've done and, that. and it squirted all along my, my butt and yeah. for the rest of the day whenever I needed to like top myself up and give myself a bit of a clean I could just put my hand in my pocket Yeah. You, if you've been on Facebook and sort of get targeted ads like I do you would have seen ads for Escape from the Dark Castle or Escape from the Dark Sector um, quite a lot um, I think they just ran a Kickstarter recently for Escape from the Dark Sector but um, they come in this these big sort of black and white boxes and they have this like massive black and white stand. Mm. And um, I was speaking to a friend about this actually and I feel like the two new sort of board game niches now that Roll and Writes have kind of moved on are point and click analogs and choose your own adventures. Mm. Like I feel like those are going to be like the two massive new um um, sort of niches in the market. So I know that Big Potato were demoing their new like choose your own adventure game mm-hmm. at the expo as well. Mm-hmm. So Escape Escape from the Dark Castle is basically probably Pete, probably like a proper what well, not I would say like hardcore, but it felt like a, a true like original choose your own adventure. Like it was it was definitely inspired by that fighting fantasy OSR yeah. Renaissance you know Renaissance kind of stuff of of like you are in a dungeon and you are going to get murked unless you get lucky. <laughs> uh, it, it was good. It was good. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, the the way that it comes across is you have as many, you know, I think there's like uh, one to four players or something like that, number of players, and you essentially have a deck of cards and that represents the castle and you flip over the, the card and that says, oh, you suddenly are attacked by goblins or whatever. And uh, and then on that card is some of that black card, white uh, um, line art, really grody, gritty, ninety like like mid mid maybe early to mid nineteen eighties kind of RPG art that is just like oh I love it, and it's hor- it's horrific like the 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 drawings are kind of like kind of gross. It's not quite not quite as gross as um 
some some OSR stuff like Lamentation of the Flame Princess or something along those lines, but like definitely down that like grim and like definitely down that grim and perilous fantasy stuff. And then you you both have an adventurer, and those they have special abilities and skills. They can uh, and those are mostly built around things like uh, strength and wisdom. You know those kind of classic Mm -hmm. RPG tropes. And they represent, uh, um, they represent the, I believe it's the dice pool or the ability to add to those dice. It's it's basically your your character has on the side of the sheet like what they've got on their dice. Um, so therefore, the chances of rolling a, a wisdom or a fight for some characters is 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 sort of like that defines who your character. Is. So so essentially, what that means is that. Every time you flip over a card, you are saying, I'm going to go first, or you go first into this room. And your hope is that you end up against a creature or an encounter or whatever it is, in which your particular strength is the thing that's being tested. So uh, certain enemies might need more strength. Some of them might need more wisdom. Uh, and then you you figure out between the two of you, so between Sam and I, we would figure out, okay, you rest on this combat round because that will give you some more health because uh, I'm running, because uh, you're running a little bit low. I'll fight this dude and then you fight the dude. And then, um, so there's quite a lot of like strategic uh, nuance to it. There's, there's, there are good ways to, to kind of co-op through this dungeon. Uh, and, but more than that, it has a lot of very flavorful writings. There's lots of cards in the box, and there's also lots of horrific ways to die. And there is a, mm-hmm. a manual in which once you you know once you meet your doom, you can then flick to a certain page, which is represented by that card, and it will give you a narrative outline of w- how you died. And it's never every single card, every single they? card, and it's never pleasant. And on the way, you'll be as a success, you will be you'll be rewarded for success by getting new items. So your character can always be in flux. You can get a a, a magic potion that will give you an instant boost of health, or um, you can get some armor that will shrug off a certain amount of damage up down to a minimum of X. Uh, you can get a new weapon that will do something else. So again, it's yeah, it's just really, really nice. It reminds me a lot of a game called Card Crawl, that's on mobile. Yeah, very, Great very game. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it reminds me a lot of that, but um, but I think with a lot more depth to it, a lot more, uh, and and the depth is really in the the storytelling. Whereas card crawl is quite sort of like you fight this monster, blah 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 blah. How are you going to do this puzzle? Uh, with this game, it's much more. You feel like you're actually having a bit of an adventure, which I think is really really nice. Tick tick tick. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a what a smorgasbord! What a smorgasbord! Oh, it's been it was absolutely lovely. One of my other highlights was getting to go and chat with Bez uh, oh, at the yes. event. Always a treat, always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. So Bez, ha- for those that don't know, has this deck of cards that's now called the L deck, E L L deck. It used to be called Wibble Plus Wibble. Plus. Plus plus, plus. Yeah. And in fact, funnily enough, nice little full circle thing here. That was the thing I got you from the, the first... Se- the second thing... No, the, se- the first thing you got me was Batman. The role-playing game. The role-playing which game. we all the enjoyed. The second thing you got me. And the second game... We got, yeah. Was, was Wibble. Yeah, strong. Yeah. And the second thing was Wibble++. Plus plus. So it's now called the L-Deck. And the L-Deck is getting a new art upgrade, which is really cool because the new art looks really nice. Looks really, really plush. I really do like Wibble Plus Plus's art because it does have this really great hand-drawn feel to everything. It really feels very indie spirit. But uh, the new artwork is really nice. It's built around like herbs and greenery and yeah, looks really good. But for those that don't know, the L-Deck is... Essentially what Bez does is they've created this this deck of cards which there's like a billion games to play with it's it. It's almost like an open source engine for, for be- card games. Yeah, right, yeah. for one developer to make loads of really interesting card games out of. Yeah. So we played uh, a brand new one which I'm pretty sure Bez came up with at the show. As, as some scumbag product person, I think it's a really, really great idea because essentially what's being made is a deck of cards to which you add 
sort of you're sort of adding DLC constantly for free, which are new rules for this mm. one deck. So you purchase the L deck once, and then Bez just makes tons and tons and tons of new games. I mean, the fact that she put together a brand new game called Capel at the at the show itself is is phenomenal. And we got to actually all the three of us we actually got to sit down and play it. And it was really mm. good. It, so this was this was a word game. So this was uh, there's lots of different kinds of games that you can do with the L deck. This was a word game in which I believe we were all drawing from the same deck of cards. And it was a flip and right. It was a flip and right. Yeah, flip and right. So a card got flipped from the deck and everybody wrote down the word and you could start new words with the new letter that you were given. But basically you counted up how many, how long each of the words that you create are and you needed to make sure you created like full words. And then you were scored at the end based on how long each word was. And it was great. Like it was, it was like a brand new game because obviously we've played different games with Wibble Plus Plus and stuff like that, and they're totally different. I just thought it was a, it was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely like, I think it's a genius product, and then and then taking the sort of like, you know, scumbag producer hat off for a second. I think that it's just a great, it's a great idea for a set of games. It's so like customer friendly. I just thought it was a, yeah, that mm. was really cool. And to be there while the part of a game is being made is always really yeah, exciting. That was really nice. It's almost like a console, isn't it? And you're just yeah. Yeah. buying lots of different games yeah. to fit that hardware. Yeah. That's really interesting. So yeah, I thought that was cool. I think one of the things that, that people were most excited to see was that Cosmos this year releasing a new advent calendar based around the Escape game series. Yeah, it was a composition, wasn't it? Mm, it was one. I mean, that's going to, I think that's going to clean up, that's going to fire for shelves. I think it was super popular. They, they, did, they did say when we were there, I would suggest buying it now and putting it in the back of a cupboard because they expect yeah. them to be sold out closer to Christmas. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I'll be doing as soon as it comes out. That that was very popular. Obviously, it, like there are, you know, there are lots of companies that we have the pleasure of being able to work with quite a lot that, that that decided that the UK Games Expo wasn't for them this year. And absolutely, that's I don't think anyone really knew what it was going to be like on the show floor and like how it was actually going to feel and how it was actually going to work. One um, company that that weren't there uh, were Osprey Games, and I, I I would have loved to I would have loved to see them there, but you know. Absolutely, people can do you know whatever they need to do to feel to feel safe. Great. And um, but Chris and I, in their absence, played. It's actually quite quite a recent game for them. It had a had a second printing. We've done an unboxing on our Instagram channel, and it's simply called Merv. Have you got the Merv? Have you got the, the nerve have, for Merv? Have you got the nerve for Merv? Um, is it does it does it have a lot of verve? Yes. Um, is there? Uh, what do you think? Would be good with which to serve, serve. with it. Mm, good question. Could this you is, play it a... if you're a perv? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one that was left. All right, I'm just, should we just swerve out of the way? That yeah, one? we'll just swerve out of the way. Uh, well, in terms of what you could serve with it, this is this is the the um, subtitle for Merv is the heart of the Silk Road. Ooh. So maybe a lovely sort of a lovely sort of spiced tea. Possibly would go go well. I, I don't need to start creating another sort of no <laughs> subgenre no. for for great games. But this is um, designed by Fabio Lopiano with art by Ian O'Toole, who is um, quite notorious in the industry for just creating beautiful, beautiful boards. And you know, we when um, there there is a lot of game in this box and a lot to sort of um, like. I had to extend my table out to kind of accommodate. Merv, there is there is a lot to deal with, a lot of tokens. But when it is all set up, like the grandeur of the piece and and the color and how it pops off the table, is actually something spectacular. And and it's kind of like it's like one of those things, like when you read a comic book and you finally realize you finally realize what good lettering is or what good inking is. Yeah. It's it's kind of like. When you see such good art design and such good use of like definitely things like iconography and clear sort of lines and design that you realize, oh, this is, you know, this is what an artist does on a, on a, you really understand like they're not just there to say that bit should be red, this bit should be, 
um, black or purple, like there's actual real thought and like energy gone into the design of Merv. Mm-hmm. But this is Chris. This this is <laughs> this is some game in in uh, and what I mean by that is like this is a lot of game um, where from what I've seen of it and seen images of it. The phrase I would use is that looks like a lot of game. It is it a lot. Look, I it mean, looks intimidating. Opening up the rules, mm. it's a double page spread just to explain what all the what what all the components Whoa. are um, before you even get to setup. And the game itself actually has quite a a reasonable core in the way that you have this central grid of building tiles. Uh, and what you do on your turn is you pick one of your meeples, you put it in a spot, and based on the row or column that that meeple is sort of next to, you will pick a certain action that's depicted in that column, and that will give you resources, it will give you access to certain elements of stuff that's going on on the board, and then um, um, and then you sort of just like rinse and repeat it and you end up sort of going around this central sort of grid, almost like this this covered market at the at the centre of Merv, going to basically visit the mosque and get boons from doing that, going off and visiting the marketplace or visiting the library and doing all these things and drawing basically as much resources and influence and power from all these different stretches of the board in order to kind of slowly get this engine going of of like resources and essentially like points in order to win the game and what looks very sort of heady and all-consuming on the on the actual board actually is when it comes to playing it like this is a really really strong and um, heady experience that never really lets up like heart like after the first round of the game the mongols attack and destroy buildings that you've built and, and unless they're guarded by walls so it's almost like you get to a, th- a third of a way through the game and then it's suddenly like now i've got an extra thing to think about like right. all this infrastructure on these this like little engine space that you may have built in the center of the table is suddenly like under attack and being and being destroyed. But I don't know if you felt this this Chris, but there there definitely comes a point where you get a lot more confident with how Merv is working, and I think there there comes a point definitely where you find the strategy or you find the particular part of the game that you want to interact with the most and then focusing on that really helps your game plan like there's so many different strands and so many different like tracks and different things to engage with for me when i finally said right i'm going to try and get to the top of this track i'm going to get to try and get to the top of what's called like this mosque track which will give me certain amount of bonuses and certain and access to certain things if i can get to the top of it so as soon as i sort of decided that that really gave me a clear path of, right, if I want to do this, I've got to get these resources. And if I need to get these resources, that means I've got to build the buildings on these spaces. And that made the game a lot less daunting, a lot more focused. And I I really started to enjoy it a lot more then when I kind of sort of released myself from from its web-like grip i assume yeah it's, it's really interesting i think you're absolutely right i think what stopped me being overwhelmed and daunted by what looks to be a very busy board and ian and tools art is very clean and it's there's a clarity to it which is really really cannot be understated i don't think because i think in the wrong hands of another artist perhaps this could be even more intimidating yeah. i think a point where i go okay sam's doing that i'm not going to do that yeah. not feeling that pressure I've got to do a little bit of everything actually just focusing on two or three of these strands for me I'm a very much a spatial person so for me uh, you know having the city of Merv in the center with walls around it I can visualize that as a geographical place okay I get that I can build the walls about that um, same with the um, in the desert where you get you create different kind of like trade routes yeah say for example I can visualize that I get that really I don't have to feel pressured to do what the other players are doing and I enjoyed the game a lot more. Also, what's really, really lovely is that when you select a, a column, 
if you've already got buildings on that row, you get to activate those buildings. It's that classic thing that great Euro games do where you can, you know, revisiting a place you've been before can pay dividends really. And likewise yeah. also, if I chose to access a, a site that Sam had got a building on, Sam also gets a little bit of a reward for doing that. So there's always that sense of not having to switch off when it's not your go. And it doesn't outstay its welcome. It is set over, is it three years, I think it is? Yeah, three, so basically like three rounds. Yeah, and, and the rounds are very clearly able to, uh, within that, you know, it's four sides of a square. You're doing a lap of Merv each time. So it's very easy to understand when the game is going to end. That's the only way the game ends, really. And because you have those invasions where different buildings get taken off the board, it's, it stops being too much of an area control game where I'm thinking, ah, yeah. oh, Sam's already dominated the board here. Well, hang on, actually, he hasn't put walls up there, so that's great. He's going to lose that <laughs> building at the end of this. And because at the end of each round, part of the scoring is how many buildings you've managed to preserve and protect on the board. That really helps. And there's a, there's a lot of game in here, but not just in one game of it. There's lots of subsequent different strategies within this is perhaps a better way of saying it rather than there's lots of there's lots of game in here um because actually no one's going to play a game of this where you try and do everything because you won't advance enough up all the different tracks yeah yeah Dan. chris did you did you have action figures when you were a kid did you play with action figures did any of you all play with action figures what were your action figures as a kid i i i did actually i had i had i had a gi joe a couple of GI Joes, uh, not GI Joe. That's 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 the American brand. Action I had Man. Action the Man. Action that's Man. it. I had Action Man. I had a oh, good old British Action, action Man, Man. I tell you, like, get rid of that GI also, Joe. Also, also, hold on a second. Action Man is not the equivalent of GI Joe. GI mm. Joe is the equivalent of Action Force. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> for for, for, for listeners at home, Pete just pushed his glasses up his nose. Yeah, this has been my TED talk. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think I had them. I had I had some Power Rangers. Uh, I had my obvious, my kind of my dinosaurs stuff like that. I think I might have had He Man. I think I had. I had, <laughs> I had a fair few. <laughs> I, I, I had uh, I had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, you had them. As oh, well. I did too. I had yeah. Transformers. Yeah, Rodimus Prime for Life. I had Visionaries, which we talked about before on the pod. And I'm currently, by the way, working through the. Uh, we, I'm currently working through all 13 episodes that came out, and I had something called Brave Star. Did you ever have Brave Star? No, was that a Royal Tunbridge Wells thing? I think it might have been. Brave Is Star it one of those things like... like those action figures you can buy in a supermarket where it's absolutely like it's Iron Man, but it's a it's a knockoff. <laughs> no, so it wasn't. No, but it 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 felt like maybe it should have been. No, it was Aluminium basically. Man. It was cowboys. It was the Wild West, but on Mars. Oh, like John, like John Carter. Oh, I also had uh, action figure of biker mice from Mars. A little bit. Oh yes, I had a biker mice from Mars. Yeah, huh? yeah. I also had VR troopers. You know, the, the, Ooh, the knockoff version of Power VR troopers. I had Batman. But um, I watched on Netflix the other day. It dropped the first part because Netflix does this thing when they've got a short series to try and milk it, make it last as long as possible. They split it into two parts. Yeah. It's just a 10-episode series, but it's two parts of five episodes. I've only watched five episodes of a series called Masters of the Universe Revelation. Oh, okay. Now, Dan, you mentioned you had a He-Man action figure. I never watched He-Man as a kid. I, 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 had, I had no knowledge of the previous filmation my, series uh, from the 80s. My knowledge of He-Man mainly revolves around the 1987 Dolph Lundgren oh. uh Oh my gosh! Actually, the terrifying skeletal. Yeah, I, my one of my earliest memories as a kid. Yeah, is literally hiding behind the sofa. It's a remarkably as Frank scary Vangella film. Transformed from Skeletor into Gold Skeletor. So, like, I, I did some digging to this. This is incredible. So, this was a series that came out in the eighties, and it was originally it was Mattel. They had this toy line. And several companies pitched to create an animated TV series based on the toys. Can you imagine just, oh, we created these toys. We've done some market research. These are the things the kids are interested in. Okay, now you, can somebody write a story around this? Yeah. It only had two seasons, this He-Man TV series. Really? But, yeah, 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 but get this, in total 130 episodes. It's 65 episodes per series. Oh my God. I mean, that is a total factory, isn't it? And what this is, because there was a TV series in the early 2000s, which I think I saw as a teenager, maybe, which was kind of a reboot. This is a series, is a direct sequel to that Filmation series of the 80s. So in fact, the first episode looks very much 
like the original series and I've watched them. I've gone back and they do look quite naff. I mean, it's filmation 80 style, particularly if you have to churn out 65 episodes. You can't really put a lot of care and time and attention. Is there, to a, is there a lot of kind yeah. of repeated backgrounds? Yeah, it was really funny, Dan, because He-Man is famous for having a sword by the power of Grayskull, but it was a bit iffy, really. Like it, it, At the time when He-Man was first produced in the 80s, the American equivalent of the BBFC were really iffy about fighting and animation. I think He-Man was one of the first kids' cartoons that actual had, had actual proper punching and stuff, whereas actually if you look at it very carefully, most of the time He-Man just wrestles and he doesn't really use his sword much at all for actual chopping. If you look into it, actually, he's got this sword, which is his weapon, and he barely uses it, um, except to turn <laughs> his cat into um, um, Battle Cat. So basically, for those who don't know He-Man, which I didn't really, apart from that kind of catchphrase, um, it's set in a world called Eternia, which is this really interesting mix of fantasy and like sci-fi technology and stuff. Mm-hmm. So magic and sci-fi technology. And there's his kingdom... Um, that is, you know, it's the kingdom of King Rad- Randor and Queen Marlena and their son, Prince Adam. He has a secret identity where he whips out his massive sword, which he keeps down his back. I mean, keeps it down the back of his jumper. He pulls it out and he says, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. And he turns into the He-Man, which is his alter ego. And his pet cat, Cringer, becomes Battle Cat, which is a giant green, a giant version of the cat with his armor on it. And like a few people know his secret identity. And basically for 130 episodes, him and his colleagues, which are called the Masters of the Universe, would help um, protect Eternia from the uh, the evil villain Skeletor and his entourage of villains. And it was just really just basically just a, a way to kind of push toys and sell them. Does, does the story tend to follow kind of like what the Power Rangers used to do, where they would try and they would try and win the day without turning into Power Rangers, then turn into Power Rangers, nearly win, and then just turn into Megazord and win. That's like every single episode was exactly the same. Is he like that? Does he try and fight it with the jumper on? And then when he can't, he takes out the sword? Yeah, pretty much. Like, And it, it's just so po-faced original series. It's so funny. Um, it, it just makes me laugh. And like, there's a load of them on YouTube. And I've really kind of dug deep into the mythos of it because I find it really fascinating. That's because of this new series. And what the series is, is a kind of a love letter to that. And it's not called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It's called Masters of the Universe Revelation. My, one of my favorite ever Batman stories is nightfall what you've got there is a vacuum because basically spoilers batman gets his back broken and for a whole volume gotham city is about batman and it's like when and that's a really interesting narrative device you've got this vacuum how do we fill it what happens to fill that when you when you spent most of your time with that presence there Mm. one of the things that this new series does is at the end of episode one it, it takes two of its biggest characters. It just takes them off the table mm-hmm. and it creates this really interesting vacuum because for 130 episodes, it has primarily been this main hero and this main villain. Let's take them off the table. Let's see what happens. So, so okay, not being a particularly big fan of he- uh, He-Man and Masters of the Universe, the clue is in the title, as in it is, it is primarily a TV, the, the 80s show is primarily a show about that titular character, right? Yeah. So, so what is a series? Why make a series where you aren't exploring that, or you're exploring different parts of that world? Like, why is that interesting? So, a, a, a number one, uh, number one reason is that with that losing of these two characters in the end of the first episode, magic is also lost, and then what happens then is the world becomes reliant on other means, really. For that, so technology has much more of an overriding factor in this world hmm. than it would usually have, because Prince Adam's secret um, identity was only known to I think three other people. That secret becomes revealed, and that changes the dynamics of certain relationships. You know, his parents suddenly find out, for example, and they never knew. His closest friend, who's fought alongside He-Man, never knew that her friend um, Prince Adam was He-Man. That changes the dynamic of that relationship. Hmm. And certain other characters then are given that space to become a little bit more fleshed out. It's very grown up. It's very mature. It's like somebody has taken these kind of quite po-faced kind of animations and said, yeah, let's give these characters depth. Hmm. And what's a be- what better way to do that is actually to give them the space to do that, really. And it's this incredible quest. And I found myself becoming really interested in these characters. And it became really weird because I had no allegiances to the original series whatsoever. And... 
it's so very well produced. The voice acting is phenomenal. You've got Sarah Michelle Gellar in the role of Teela. You've got Mark Hamill as Skeletor. <laughs> um, Kevin Conroy shows up as Merman. You've got um, Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones as Davros. You know, is it Davos in Game of yeah. Thrones? Sorry. You've got also from Game of Thrones, you've got the incredible um, Lena Headey as Evelyn. It's just phenomenal. And it, the guy who does the music is Bear McCreary, who did the music to God of War. Jeez. It is I epic. Mean, this... it's, the most, it's the most metal. His transformation into He-Man is the most metal thing I've this seen all year. sounds really good. To be fair, it does sound right up your street, Pete. Yeah. So clearly so much love has gone into this. And I know the studio head at Netflix said to Kevin Smith, who's the showrunner of this, said, look, I just want there to be high stakes. And I just want it to feel like when I was a kid again. Mm. And I don't, I can't obviously answer those questions, but the stakes are pretty high in this. When you take the two main characters off the board, mm. the stakes are pretty high. And the reason I'm saying all of this, and one of the reasons I want to talk about it, was because this this series has, has caused an incredible amount of backlash online. Pete, well, wait, 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 Chris, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying people on the internet are unhappy about the way that their childhood memories, the franchises associated with their childhood memories, have been redone. Are you saying that people on the internet had, had, would uh, uh, somehow upset at this fact? Because that definitely didn't happen with Ghostbusters. That definitely didn't happen with Final Fantasy VII. That definitely didn't happen with... Last of Us Part Two. Oh, yeah. So people, the, the words bait and switch keep getting mentioned because the trailer was a fantastic trailer, but it, the trailer was mainly, I think, showing episode one. Because if you're taking He-Man off the table... People are kind of irked that, hang on, this series is supposed to be about He-Man when clearly it isn't. His name's not in the title. It's called Master of Revelation, Masters of the Universe. Yeah, but this is why I asked you that question because I was immediately like, well, that seems a bit strange that they would do that. But it sounds like they just go, yeah, let's explore these different characters. And to me, that sounds like a quality story that's worth watching rather than I want to see my weird half-naked man with a bob haircut run around on screen. And, and it's not that he doesn't appear like you get these interesting flashbacks. What you learn more about is what, what people think of him. It's the same in the same reason. Do you remember when one of the one of the best kind of twists that Hideo Kojima was was Metal Gear Solid 2? Yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone thought they were going to be playing as Solid Snake. And you realize, actually, we're only playing from a little bit. But it was so interesting to play as Raiden and see Snake as someone other that wasn't just being played by you. To see Snake through the eyes of the person who is meant to replace Snake. Like, yeah. to see Snake as uh, like an outsider or under like the entire game is built and narrative is built around that idea like and it sounds like that's the case here as well yeah no completely and uh, and like uh, this is only halfway through the series you know but like it does things that like you know when you're a kid and you think oh i'm gonna i play my action figures because i can actually act out narratives i've not seen yet it feels very much like this it doesn't feel like they're playing it overly safe and that's great it gets quite emotional in strange places, really. I think, oh my gosh, this is... I can't imagine what this must feel like for people who've grown up with these characters. Yeah. But, it, but it is just... It's, I find it utterly fascinating online that people are really irritated by this, you know, seeing it as something that's overly kind of woke when actually what it is is just like a bit of changing up the kind of... The, the storytelling, you know, we've had... You've had 130 episodes. Mm-hmm. This is five more that do something a little bit different. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I find that, I find that, I find it such a silly idea. And like, it, the, the, the strange thing I think personally is like, if you want that, that already exists. There's, and there's 130 episodes of it. That was another episode of Staying In. What a whopper. I hope you stayed with us as we took you on what essentially was a virtual tour of the UK Games Expo, which I don't know about you, I really benefited because like many people out there, I was unfortunate in the sense I couldn't go. Um, But through listening to my pals talk about their experience, I kind of felt like I was there as well as a little bit of a fly on the wall of the Expo experience, really. And I'm really, really looking forward to next year's event as well, which I'm sure will be fantastic as well, really. We've covered quite a lot of games there. 
and uh, we'll be putting links to them in the notes of this podcast and we'll probably be covering them as well in subsequent episodes in much much more detail i've got my massive stack of games that uh, my pals very kindly got me from the expo which i'm just working my way through now at the moment really a special thank you to cosmos and devir for very kindly giving me a game of mayscape which i'm really looking forward to playing at some point soon over the summer holiday and again, thank you to Tim Fowers for giving me the, the van with the Burgle Brothers um, figures in it. I am so looking forward to getting that to the table with my copy of Burgle Brothers 2. Okay, uh, housekeeping. You can find us online. Just go to Google, type staying in pod. Um, you'll find our website, stayinginpodcast.com. At Staying In Pod is the handle that will get you to our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook, and any other social media outputs that we have. Um, I'm going to push again our Spotify page, which has um, a curated playlist um, for everything we've covered that has a piece of music associated with it. So obviously, me talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation, I'm probably going to stick something in our Strong Brew playlist um, from Bear McCreary, who did a fantastic score. Uh, for that series and I'm really looking forward to part two when it drops um, feel free to send us through some questions uh, we didn't have time to get to listener questions uh, in this particular episode just because we had so much content to cover uh, you can email us at stayinginpod at gmail.com or just uh, DM us on Twitter or some people have been using Instagram to do that as well whatever um, suits you best really and if you're interested in hearing us Wally's uh, answer questions, um, maybe advice about or recommendations about games or films or TV series you might be interested in, or even indeed you've got a recommendation to share with us, particularly films, because Pete has seen about six films, I think, his entire life. So I think he would really, really benefit from some additional recommendations. Okay, well, that's enough for me. See you in two weeks. Uh, take care of yourself. Bye.